The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show, Week 16 DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. And Kyle, even for a Thursday, knock on wood, I feel like we are actually as set as we could be compared to past weeks. Of course, all hell could break loose on Friday, but given the circumstances right now, I think we know where the field's going. I think we know some potential game stacks. I'm actually pretty confident about this slate so far. Yeah, I feel like we're still waiting on the precipice of the cliff, waiting for any piece of news to to completely drop and entirely, as the internet would say, flip the slate on its head. But as of right now, I could, I, if things held right now the way I think they will, I could probably tell you where the chalk would fall, how projections would be. So I agree with that, but it does feel like this week more than... I mean, any other week I've been in the industry, we are waiting for stuff to hit the fan. We are, and admittedly, the past few weeks on Friday, that's when we've gotten our cheap running backs. And genuinely, I hope we don't get any more, because right now, as we will talk about in this show, I'm having a hard time sorting through them. Nonetheless, though, as we do every single week, let's go ahead and hear where you're starting at for building lineups. I have some placeholders already made. I've run into a few issues, but I'm curious to hear your decision point of the week thus far. To me, the decision point is, I, I think there are actually a decent amount of decision points because we have so much news and so many different players in and out of the lineup to break down. But to me, the most impactful decision point is how you handle the Bucks. not only with the obvious, Ronald Jones taking on a massive role now, Antonio Brown, I assume without Mike Evans, although as far as the last time we checked, he's not technically been ruled out. The initial prognosis was week to week though. So my seemingly safe assumption is that he also doesn't play Chris Godwin initially an MCL sprain now out for the year, obviously Antonio Brown is going to be at, at what he's 4,900 on DraftKings massive and deservedly. So chalk Ronald Jones without Leonard Fournette or Giovanni Bernard also very popular. And their prices obviously don't reflect their value as DFS propositions, but even beyond that, assuming we don't have Mike Evans, obviously we know no assumptions made that we don't have Chris Godwin. You have Tyler Johnson or Rashad Perriman's also possible value plays. So to me, there are plenty of, decisions we have to make on this slate because like you said like we don't need any more value don't give us any more value there are just already enough decisions to be made I think a lot of those decisions come from the Bucks, not only by Ronald Jones and Antonio Brown but can you play this offense as a whole knowing that we are missing 
two of the en- uh, three actually uh, three i assume evans is part of it three of the engines of the offensive production so is antonio brown returning to a normal tampa bay offense no but they have tom brady they have their play calling so he could return to some sort of facsimile of that offense is ronald jones entering the leonard fournette spot no i i'd be absolutely floored if this guy actually gets more than a few targets but there are very real value plays on this team that extend beyond just the top two the obvious value plays of antonio brown and ronald jones you could totally play a tyler johnson i think even like Keyshawn vaughn is in play and obviously brady is always in play so to me the decision point is how do you approach the bucks not only from the obvious chalk spots but are you willing if you're playing chalk to maybe correlate it with i don't want to play just uh, i don't want to play just antonio brown i want to play Brown, Tyler Johnson, Tom Brady, Brown, Gronk, Brady, something like that. Or do you want to just play it as straight up, you know, just play it as an honest man's chalk? You could totally do that, but you do have to find a unique way to build your lineup elsewhere. I think there are ways to play really good Brady sacks that aren't just like Brady Brown. I agree. Where I start at is asking, do we need to think that the Bucks offense is now different since we're taking Mike Evans and Chris Godwin out? Second highest pass play rate for mutual game script this year, but without two Hall of Fame receivers, do they alter even a little bit? Because if they even go to 10th highest league average, that's a significant downgrade in volume for Brady and the receivers. And so then we can just say, okay, well, clearly Brown, who remember was on the sixth week of a four to six week timeline before he got suspended. So even in the limited practices, I'm not worried at all. He's their wide receiver one. He's been a wide receiver one in three of five games this year. He's been a wide receiver one in five of 13 regular season games, all played with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans as well. I'm not worried about Antonio Brown at all. And then Gronk as well, fresh off 11 target game, only two catches. Who cares? 11 target game, at least eight targets in his last five contests, at least 82% of the snaps in four consecutive games now, number one and number two. So if the volume does decrease, that's where the ball goes. And thus, although I think Tyler Johnson and to a lesser extent, Rashad Perryman and much larger field contest are fine plays. They're also getting cute in smaller fields because there's less passing volume. And then that'll also entail more carries for Ronald Jones in a game. I think he's going to get a significant amount of carries. Anyways, we are going to be three, four days removed from the Le'Veon Bell contract. Who knows if he's active, who knows if he's even up to speed. I don't think he will by that time. And also I think Ronald Jones still, just with the Panthers allowing 28 opponent running back carries per game, this is his game script. This is his game, not to mention a week 17 against the Jets. We're not talking about that, though. We're not talking about redraft start sits in this show. We're talking about strictly DFS for Sunday's main slate. And so what comes down to me then is, one, how does the offense change and what do we do about the offense changing? And then, two, where does this where is this reflected most for these players? So Antonio Brown, as you mentioned, 4,900 on DraftKings egregious that is a free square running back in my opinion thus 96 percent in this slate don't care yes. i'm playing him that's fine i'm taking it and then for ronald jones given the other players we have in his range james robinson alexander madison perhaps jordan howard if miles sanders dp again on friday a couple clyde edwards later if you want to get there a couple others we'll talk about throughout the show as well Ronald Jones, I don't think it's necessary, especially if he gets steamed up to 40, 50%, which he's the one everyone's talking about along with James Robinson right now. I don't think it's quite necessary on DraftKings since we know he's not going to catch passes anyhow. But on FanDuel, and I know you don't play much on FanDuel, but on FanDuel where he's 5,400, that's a pretty lowly salary there. So I'd just rather take the touchdown equity there, but I think I'm pretty safe 
avoiding him if I choose to do so on DraftKings. And if you told me to choose one, going Antonio Brown instead, I don't think, tell me if I'm wrong here on DraftKings, I don't think you could play Ronald Jones and Antonio Brown. I feel like if you were to play Ronald Jones and Antonio Brown, I would add Gronk and Brady. I would say Bucks put up 38 or something, you know, something absolutely massive. No, I don't think you can just play those two because at that point, you are just playing the two chalkiest pieces. And it's likely that if you were playing them without Brady, it means the uh, either the lineups that did Brady, did play Brady are just passing you because they've scored more points or you're trying to fit a very narrow Venn diagram where they put up enough points for two of their players to get there, but not enough for their quarterback to get there, which is, I think, a minus EV venture given how popular they're going to be. So can you play them both? I, I would argue yes a little bit. I'm playing them both in Brady- Tyler Johnson, Antonio Brown lineups, Brady, Gronk, Antonio Brown type of Ronald Jones lineups, right? The only way I'm playing them is if I think, and especially it works in small field because if you can just capture all the touchdowns, you're fine with Antonio Brown only puts up 16, 17. Ronald Jones puts up 21, 22. And the other player also puts up 21, 22. You're fine with small fire emojis in your lineup, even though they didn't score 30, 30, 30, right? You need 30, 30, 30 in the Millie maker. You don't need 30, 30, 30 in the, you know, the $4,000, 500 entry. I don't even think you're running this large of a $4,000 contest on DraftKings, but in the $100, 5,000 entry, you're fine with 20, 20, 30, 20, right? That is a, per that's a good, that's actually a really good start to your lineup. But if you were aiming for the Millie maker, I don't think you would want to do that. So in small field contests, I think it's fine to super stack the bucks, especially because I think there will be a slight amount of decrease of ownership just because there is a reasonable amount of uncertainty around them. But that's really the only spot I would consider playing them both. It's with more bucks. I wouldn't play those two specific bucks in one lineup alone. Where do you come in at on Gronk among those? Because I think everyone will fall in line with your thought process and trying to get unique around Brady and thus ending up stacking like Brown with someone contrarian is Gronk contrarian in this slate, or is he just going to be high rostered in your opinion, thinking that's how everyone gets there. In my opinion, though, I do think Gronk is like, it's obvious, right? They are missing a bunch of their pass catchers. Gronk has been electric. And not only that, but he pushes the ball downfield. Among tight ends, he actually has one of the higher A dots, one of the higher yards per route run, because when he's on the field, they're using him a, a pseudo wide receiver. Like, I mean, it's really unsurprising they're, they're using Rob Gronkowski as if he is Rob Gronkowski of 2018 or something like that. And he's been playing as efficiently as he has been since his like prime. Obviously, he's in an offense that can kind of afford him less coverage and still has, you know, aggressive Tom Brady to it. So maybe you can say he's a lesser version of that. But I would say it, it's intuitive, right, to play Rob Gronkowski. To me, if I want a really weird sort of uh, spot on this team, I think like a Keyshawn Vaughn could be really viable. It depends on what we see with Le'Veon Bell, but Keyshawn Vaughn was running as many routes as Ronald Jones was last week. And I think he is more likely given Ronald Jones complete ineptitude, frankly, as a pass catcher and a pass blocker in his time with the Bucks. I think it's more likely we see Keyshawn Vaughn take the pass catching work of, Ron of Leonard Fournette. And he is sort of that Fournette Brady type of stack that we were using previously, except he's super cheap. So I think in small field, sure. You could play Gronk, Antonio Brown, and even Ronald Jones as a stack with Brady. I'm probably still looking to be unique elsewhere. I don't think that is the most unique. I, I think it's perfectly fine. I don't think it's that high leverage, though. I think a high leverage type of build would be, for me, I think Keyshawn Vaughn is really interesting. But I also think you could argue Perriman. Tyler Johnson might gain some steam. But I think Perriman, Brown, Jones, uh, Brady, that would be unique. I think you're right, though. I think Gronk is just 
too obvious and intuitive to really be a high leverage spot. I think he's a fine play. I'll play him, but I don't think he's high leverage, even if you play him as part of a buck stack. Someone like me for small field, I would not advise Keyshawn Vaughn. But for you, an MME player, <laughs> totally cool. Having said that, what percentage would you put on Vaughn for hitting optimize this shit for me? 5%, maybe. Five, five or sub five, okay. so, but yeah. he also works really well as leverage off of Ronald Jones, who I think is probably one of the two or three, if not the most popular running back on the slate. So I think when he hits, it's not only that he provides a, a salary adjusted value. If he hits, especially if he hits as a runner, it probably comes at the expense of Ronald Jones, a chalk piece on the slate. So yeah, 5% or less even, frankly, but a 5% or less that will be owned at two or 3% and gives you negative correlation with Ronald Jones. I think that's worth in large field. I don't, I agree. You probably don't need to get there on small field. I, I also think a uh, contrarian like leverage, just fading Brady, not so much the offense as a whole, but if the volume decreases and it's more of a run heavy offense, you can play Jones and then just don't play anyone else because you know, none of us are getting there anyways. Again, I'm going to play Antonio Brown just because the salary is wrong, but you could play Ronald Jones and just say like all the targets go here. Ronald Jones gets the touchdowns and just call it a day from there. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting, but it's not really a total, it's not really a game I'm excited about. Also, if you want to get really contrarian, this is probably for small, uh, large field, even though I have, I've tinkered around with a little bit. I don't think Amir Abdullah is that bad of a play here. Knowing they're go the Panthers are going to have to still pass the ball, knowing they cannot run the ball against them. Also, Abdullah was the RB11 last week because in PPR, that's all it takes is running routes. And Abdullah ran 25 routes to Hubbard's 14. We know they're going to be behind anyways. And so like pairing Abdullah with any of these options, Antonio Brown, Ronald Jones, no one's going to get there. I don't think anyone's going to get to DJ Moore either, but like no one's going to get to Abdullah either. And like that kind of saves salary to spend up elsewhere in a week that everyone wants to pay up at wide receiver. So yeah, I, I, I'm going to tinker with that idea too. I don't think Abdullah is the worst option I've ever played. To me, the, the perfect example for like a Keyshawn Vaughn type of play was actually DJ Dallas over Rashad Penny on, was that Tuesday's slate, if I remember correctly, yeah. was the, he is going to get, the projection is probably like a median of like 20 to 30 percent of the carries that's not that good it's probably not enough to play them you know in a small tournament but also if he catches passes and the game script even flows the bucks don't have to the bucks probably aren't losing this game they don't have to lose the game for Keyshawn Vaughn to play but say it's modestly competitive the bucks never take a 21 point lead at that point they probably are using Keyshawn Vaughn in the final minutes before halftime, when they are trying to, you know, put a, the final field goal, the final touchdown on the board. And that acts as some sort of negative amount of correlation of just snaps and minutes taken away from Ronald Jones. He reminds me of like DJ Dallas, which I was only playing in larger field tournaments, but I actually thought DJ Dallas was a really good play on that Tuesday slate after looking at where the field was. He was go. a good play. I didn't get there in time, but I thought about like a kickoff too. And I'm, like, so, I'm so tilted. I played a ton of, I, I had, I, I straight up had like the stone cold nuts. And all I did was play a bunch of like a bunch bunch of the satellites to smaller ticket stuff like where the difference between first place and min cash is literally zero right which was based on how high leverage i was playing bad but also i was just running out of time and threw some lineups in so i made money but frankly i it was poor if you looked at my lineups it was very poor contest selection but i just didn't have time totally fair and for my decision point i've already mentioned if we're fading brady you know patrick mahomes potentially without Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, everyone's going to try to get cute, dance around Chiefs, Chiefs receivers. And that's the theme of the slate anyways, is the old dad saying, kiss, like keep it simple, stupid. Everyone's going to try to play like no James Crowder. Let's stuff mm -hmm. Braxton Berrios in, you know, no 
Austin Eckler, perhaps. Some people are going to say, well, I'll fade Justin Jackson, who's going to get steamed, and just play Josh Kelly instead. Like, it's just going to be a slate where I genuinely think the floors are going to be fine because everyone's going to outthink themselves. And if we get to that point, I just look around at the entire slate and say, what quarterback ends me? What stack am I really scared of here? And the answer comes down to I'm not scared of anybody. Yet again, I, I am challenging every quarterback in the NFL mm-hmm. to try and tell yeah. me to start them because none of these players are good. Not scared of the Chiefs offense. Not scared of the Bucks offense. Or at least with Brady in like onslaughts. Not worried about it. I can hone down the touchdown equity. At least I think so without Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So I just keep going back to do I just take Jalen Hurts floor and call it a day? Like, is that how I escape this slate, thinking that's the best way possible? And then, given that he's pretty cheap as well, since it was the Tuesday game bump, Dallas Goddard as well cheap. Like, and then I could just play ceiling plays around him. Like, is that the best option to play this slate safe as possible, thinking there is no ceiling? Oh, that's perfectly possible. Like looking at the, one of the things you said, there's, I, I agree. There's no one that scares me because there are a lot of good offenses on this. Like you've got Dallas. So teams with a implied team total over 26 is LA Tampa Bay. I'm make sure these are all in the main slate too. LA Tampa Bay, Kansas city, green Bay, and the Chargers. Dallas is not on the main slate actually. So yeah, it's green Bay, not green Bay, not on main slate. Oh, you're right. Thank you. So four, four, four teams four. with two, that's no totals over 50. What is this is insane. Actually. I didn't really like I've looked at and I've looked at the slate before. This is I, I just looking at the numbers though, is a whole nother level of how this is like 2014 DFS with how grimy these teams are in terms of their overall totals in the games and the overall individual team totals. And the thing is the four teams I named the Eagles, Rams, Bucks, and Kansas city are all massive favorites outside of LA, which is something we'll get to. But three of them are spots where you say, of course, they're expected to put up a lot of points, but their opponents are not. So this does not look like a push-pull situation where when you go up by seven, the opponent comes back and immediately puts three or seven or eight on the board. So if you, like, even the good offenses, you can totally make an argument that Kansas City against one of the league's worst run defenses Kansas City has traditionally played a more pass-heavy style, but against a terrible run defense and an opponent that cannot put up points, no, I'm not scared of Kansas City. Obviously, I'm not scared of Kansas City without Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, potentially, but even if they have them, they could throw 32 passes, two touchdowns, 280 yards, and Mahomes doesn't put up a tournament-winning week. It could be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who puts two in the paint. So there are a ton of ways for the best offenses to not put up a ton of points in the ways we traditionally would think of them. So yeah, I totally agree with you that there are not a ton of off. There are zero offenses that truly think like, how can I possibly fade this offense? And that's the perfect type of slate to really get like to some weird stacks and play like high projected one-offs. Also, Clatter's Lair, fresh off his most mount routes run on the team's drop back since week one. The first time he's gone over 70% of snaps since week one and a season high four targets in this game. And more importantly for DFS, only 38 yards in the ground. Flop lag. So while everyone tries to get cute around Byron Pringle, Nicole Hardman's of the world, like CEH is in an amazing spot around chalk running backs. And that's not to say like, I'm not going to play Ronald Jones. I'm not going to play James Robinson. James Robinson's setup is so good. Robinson on FanDuel is another conversation. I don't know if you've seen this or not. He's 8,200 on FanDuel. They just, they just did it and joke around with the algorithm. They saw that he was <laughs> rostered heavily in a chalk spot without Carlos Hyde, who's now on injured reserve for his concussion. And they just said, screw it. Like we're just going to, toss him up here against the Jets. I dare you to roster him, which then, you know, becomes game theory. Do I roster James Robbins because he's expensive and no one else is going to roster him? 
especially now it looks like we lost Dalvin Cook on the slate, who everyone, you know, perhaps could have paid up for anyways. And so that's a whole other conversation. But right now, yeah, that's the way I lean. I think Jalen Hurts is, is fairly safe, and it's a slate where I'm comfortable taking that floor and getting out of there and worrying about what else to do around him. If you ask me, paying up or like even game theory-wise, who has the highest ceiling, who makes the most sense at quarterback, also I like Justin Herbert a lot. I'm curious to see what the field's going to do with Justin Herbert, knowing he is the leverage off of Justin Jackson, and like you can go, you know, the obvious spots. Don't even take a chance on Mike Williams, who we've seen pop up from time to time. Just go Keenan Allen to take the floor, and then if you really want to like get contrarian, go Jared Cook at tight end instead without Donald Parham, and then hope for a little touchdown equity because those Jared Cook touchdowns in the red zone are what would take away from Justin Jackson, who would get steamed with that Austin Eckler anyhow. And so, like, I'm leaning towards that direction as well. But right now, like, that's kind of my quarterback pool. I wonder what's going to happen with the Ravens and Bengals. That's the game I keep coming back to. Do you think they'll get popular knowing that Burrow, league high in touchdowns against the Blitz, the last time they played, Ravens sent the house at the second highest rate in week five, and Burrow beat them seven of eight completions for nine and a half yards per attempt, for over 400 yards in that game. But... My issue, why I think it's so volatile and why I'm curious what the field's going to do with it, because I can see themselves talking into it again, is that the Bengals have shown their their true colors, their orange cowardly bellies since returning from their bye the last five games and having the third highest run play rate on first down, averaging three and a half yards per carry. Just this past week against the Broncos, scoring 15 points, being a bad offense. It's just the Broncos were a worse offense, and that's why the Bengals won. They ran on 17 to 21 first downs. They're just not good at play calling in game. And so like, I think, even in knowing the Ravens have been elite against the run, I think they're just going to smash Joe Mixon into the front into the line 25 times anyhow and take away volume and excitement from this game. Also... If Lamar Jackson comes back, doesn't look, doesn't appear like it's going to happen. But if he does come back, 6,900 on DraftKings, it's a situation where absolutely sharp players will say, it's Lamar Jackson 6,900. Let, let's just do this. Whereas Lamar Jackson sucked at football the past month before injury. So like, it, it's a game where I genuinely think everyone's going to get excited about. And I can't get excited knowing they are excited about it. Yeah, so, so far, the ownership projection doesn't look too high on these players, but they that is a spot where, I mean, it's the same spot as last week, Aaron Rodgers versus them, although Aaron Rodgers obviously better and the offense more condensed than Joe Burrow. But we have seen massive upside from T. Higgins. We've seen massive upside from Jamar Chase. We've we've literally seen massive upside from even C.J. Ozoma, who I believe has two, two touchdown games, and Tyler Boyd, who has a few big spike games, where I do think these players are in the zeitgeist enough and they play a defense that is horrible against the pass enough that I would... They'd be a spot where I feel like there are a few teams and quarterback stacks every week that you can look at if you are looking at every single ownership projection across the industry and say, I'm going to bet the over. I'll bet the over. If you were betting over-unders on ownership in the Millie Maker versus what every single popular DFS site projects, you'd be right. Last week, I, I you know we talked about how interesting of a play Aaron Rodgers was, and we ended up being right as the field was correct in the sense of, he was a good play, and people recognized that by Sunday morning, and he was one of the most surprisingly popular plays. He was the most popular quarterback on a number of different tournaments, so it wasn't it wasn't contrarian in any way. I don't know if Joe Burrow gets to that extent, but when you see him outside of the top five or top ten quarterbacks in terms of popularity, I bet the over on that. So I agree that even though you know Joe Burrow just in the median projection and his ownership projection doesn't look like he'll be this like supremely popular play, I think he is the sneaky spot a lot of people go to. 
the only thing is you can get different by throwing a CJ Uzoma in there who I, I'd be shocked if like someone like CJ Uzoma is popular. You could probably even get different by playing Tyler board because everyone wants to play. I'm going to say Boyd, I think is especially because he's had two, like, you know, in slower game scripts, he's had two good back-to-back games. That's the one where everyone will still try to pay up for Jamar chase. Yep. And you could just, if you know, if you want to get there, that's fine, but you could go chase and Boyd or just Boyd if you wanted. Yeah. For Burrow, because he like, he's not, he, he has, he's athletic, but he doesn't really have the potential to run for even like 40 and more than one touchdown. You're double stacking him to me. I do think this kind of becomes everyone's sneaky stack, or at least a decent amount of people's sneaky stack. I would say, you know, if you're an optimizer, just set a rule. Also just do this by hand. Set a rule, one of Uzoma or Boyd in all of your double burrow stacks because the chalk double burrow is going to be the two fun plays. It's going to be Higgins and and Chase because they're awesome. But also, we know the other players have very real ceilings, even if they achieve them at a slightly slower rate. What about one or some of your favorite tournament plays, whether it be large field or small field, on this slate? So for me, I really think because we have, as I, I kind of alluded this to, alluded to this earlier all of the high scoring teams all of the high implied team totals when we look at the chargers chiefs bucks rams eagles and then cardinals are the only ones above 25 which again is an incredibly low number for 2021 nfl dfs last year we would have been shocked to see the highest team at like a 27 implied team total but things have trended downward as of late so i think you want to be looking at among all the high scoring teams, which teams actually play in competitive games? Because although, yes, the Bucks do generally have a higher pass rate over expectation, they're a more volatile team now that they're missing their top two receivers. They could end up leaning on Ronald Jones if they're up 21 against a terrible Cam Newton led offense. The Steelers offense, God, I can't imagine like that terrible Steelers offense is just atrocious. But the one team that plays another competitive offense in a high scoring mod, it's not crazy high scoring, but for this slate, it actually is, is the Los Angeles Rams versus the Minnesota Vikings. I think just based on ownership, I would rather play the Vikings side of the stack. I think you can totally play it both ways, but I think the Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and then depending on the health, Adam Thielen, one of like Thielen or Osborne or Conklin totally makes a ton of sense to me. It's odd because while Dalvin Cook, they haven't used in the passing game much, even in his last two games, I believe he only has four total targets. Alexander Madison saw 18 targets in his three full starts. And so like, I honestly think you could even Mm -hmm. go Kirk Cousins, Madison and Justin Jefferson if Thielen's out and call it a day. And that's the way that no one's going to play it on the other side of that ball. Like I, I also think, playing Sony Michelle with Cooper Cup. You don't even need Stafford. Just trying to get the Rams touchdowns if you like that game so much. It's also just an interesting way to do it, especially after we saw Sony Michelle be the workhorse, even with Daryl Henderson back in full. So so yeah, that game's definitely a way I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson, although I, I love playing both. I wonder if even in Adam Thielen potentially coming back if people get off Justin Jefferson. I don't know how popular Justin Jefferson is now, honestly. I guess more so now that there's no longer an option between Cook and Jefferson. Now you can just actually, like on FanDuel, for instance, Madison's 5500 Like At least DraftKings priced up Madison, whereas FanDuel was not prepared for this. And thus, Madison just goes right back into his workers' role with that same Ronald Jones price. And so that's why it's interesting. But yeah, Remember Jefferson before these last two games where he had a 41, 48 and 41% target share in his last two games without Thielen was still getting hammered. The game prior, for instance, he still had 35% target share with Thielen on the field. So like 
he's still the double digit target hog, even if Thielen comes back. And so that's why, like, no matter what, even if I put him with Madison, I'm not going to let yes. Thielen's presence scare me off Jefferson in this slate. Yeah, absolutely. Another uh, man. What, do you have a take on Russell Wilson? Because he he had three bad games coming off of the mallet finger injury. And then two weeks ago, he finally looked really good. It was against Houston, I believe, in that game. Uh, so it doesn't tell you much. But his, his CPOE is completion percentage yeah. over expectation, adjusting standard com- boilerplate completion rate for the difficulty of throw based on depth was like plus 14%. And that is Russ's calling card is throwing throws that most quarterbacks do not complete at a much higher rate than they complete them. He just hits more throws more often than any other quarterback. He looked like dust again last week. And I truly, if you have that ceiling of being one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the entire NFL, I really think at low ownership, I want to play you, especially against a bears defense. That's bottom 10 in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. But like, do you have a take on Russell Wilson? Because I, my data nerd brain says he had a sample of about three really bad games. One game after that, that was good. And then beginning of the season, he was off and on efficient. His offense was not supporting him in a way that promotes big fantasy games. But he's he's Russell Wilson. Last year, we were clamoring in the first eight to 10 games of the season to double stack him. We never wanted to double stack him. So I think at low ownership, the massive boom ceiling of Russell Wilson versus terrible Chicago defense. I want to play that, although it feels like a spot where I'm just waiting to get hurt badly. The, the only thing I would have to say is that you could probably tell yourself that he was so bad, at least this past week, because he didn't have Tyler Lockett and keep it that simple. It is a good matchup. Akeem Hicks now moved to the COVID list. Remember this past week against the Vikings, the Bears were literally missing their entire starting setting secondary on the COVID list. We'll see who they get back in time for this week. But yeah, you you could convince yourself like, hey, he was inefficient because Lockett was missing since the three games prior. He was slowly getting back to more efficient targets, a top 10 rate of accurate targets per pro, pro football focus. And so, yeah, that, that's what I would tell myself if I'm going that way. I don't know exactly if I'll get there. I was gearing up DK Metcalf if Tyler Lockett was out. Now I question if I'm going to play him, but I don't think it's bad. I wish Justin Fields was not downgraded to a DNP today. Uh, Having said that, Darnell Mooney then becomes a sneaky play because remember, Darnell Mooney without Allen Robinson. We'll see what happens with with Marquise Goodwin and Allen Robinson. But without those two, with Andy Dalton in those three games, had a 29% target share. So he he would pop up as as a player I'd be interested in. But yeah, right now, you just tell yourself that Lockett wasn't there, thus I'll play Russell Wilson. There are only three more weeks to lose money on DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson, so enjoy enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, uh, enjoy might be a strong term, but utilize it. Utilize the money. If you have, if you ever find yourself where you have so much money around your house that you can't find things, you're losing your keys in your stack of money. Uh, play Russell Wilson because that has been a great strategy to losing money. But prior to this year. It was a really good strategy. And yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I actually thought Justin Fields, how incredibly cheap he is on DK, was like kind of interesting. Now at this point, I have no clue if he even plays. Yeah, no idea. We're going to wait on that. But nonetheless, the Mooney point was really good though. Cause like, I remember it was the game that the game that Andy Dalton came in for, came in for Justin Fields, I believe. I had a very small position on Mooney. I did not need Mooney to do well. And he had, it was this like 13 target four catch 150 some yard game or something like that, where he came in and just started hucking it to, to Darnell Mooney. So it seems, I mean, it's not surprising. His other targets are like Demir Burt and Jakeem Grant when Allen Robinson isn't there. So it's not surprising, but he does seem to get the concept of Darnell Mooney is your best player. Even if it takes 16 targets, throw it to him every time. For me, 
I, I'm sort of on the same players as well. Like, I don't think it's a situation where I can nor will I fade Cooper Cup. I've already talked about the reasons why I love Justin Jefferson. I'm hoping Adam Thielen's active. That makes me even more confident about what the field will do around Justin Jefferson. Running backs, I think the core, you know what, you know where everyone's going to go. Thus, it just comes down to what the rest of the field is doing with Ronald Jones, James Robinson, Alexander Madison, Justin Jackson. But then remember, we also have David Montgomery, for example, right there with what 22 targets in his last three games like so you could take that floor and just hope that some of these other guys fail especially because it's a tremendous matchup against Seattle's front seven and so like that's how I get my exposure as well to Chicago if I don't play Darnell Mooney I think uh, Cordero Patterson against the Lions is also in a good pay up spot if you want to pay up at running back because he did quietly bounce back to his old role I don't know why he went away two weeks ago in the fourth quarter Arthur Smith really didn't answer properly but this past week back up to 62 percent of the snaps and I know we had 18 rushing yards, but again, not a good spot, whereas this spot is good if he's going to be used as an early down grinder. And so I don't think anyone will get there knowing that everyone's just going to pay down at running back. And so those are some situations I'm watching. What do you think about Justin Jackson if and when Austin Eckler is ruled out? Because, you know, the same reason we played James Robson, Jonathan Taylor, other running backs against Houston, the fact they're allowing the most 10-plus yard runs on the season, everyone's going to play Jackson. And I think it's an easy fade or at least an easy spot to leverage off of. Yeah, that's kind of my opinion of it. It feels uh, another spot where I feel like as a tournament bro, you, you have to just be at points in your every single week. In fact, you have to be at points where you're like, yeah, I'm willing to to go down on this hill of fading a good play because not because it doesn't have a median projection that works out well, because there is fragility. That's the perfect spot is because it has fragility around it. And we have seen that the Chargers nearly every week it's like i remember blurbing the chargers three or four times this year and saying which backup running back do i blur because they've used a new one every single week i'd even be fine playing like a joshua kelly over a justin jackson because there's a very real spot where they just split the carries and justin jackson sees 14 and kelly sees 10 but kelly is the one who gets the goal line work because he's that more thick short type of goal line back so i think in general justin jackson would be someone i would be under on on top of that i think you're perfectly fine leveraging it by a Joshua Kelly or by the passing attack, because although we know that the, the Houston Texans face one of the, I believe it's the second highest run rate from opponents in the NFL, they also have a terrible secondary. It's just that when you are winning against them, you get to run on them. You can get to the winning point by, by a passing a lot. So I think Justin Herbert doubles as opposed to a Justin Jackson or even in large field tournaments. And I think this is sort of just a... A strategy I think has a very niche but very good large field spot. When there's a lot of ambiguity in a backfield, just straight up take the really bad backup play. Take the Keyshawn Vaughn last week. I didn't do this. Obviously, I'd be I'd be on here rich if I did this. Take the Duke Johnson this week. Take the the Joshua Kelly. So I think when there is ambiguity in a backfield and it's in a good spot, you are really in an advantage state by just playing the crappy backup because like the crappy backup to the already crappy backup would be the answer. What about some of your, or one of your biggest fade of the week? Yeah, Justin Jackson, I thought was a pretty good one. To me, an easy spot to just, I know it's not like going to be the most popular, yeah. but I think an easy spot to just gain a decent amount of leverage because I think there will be some sneaky ownership on some of these spots just because they, they're like project, they're so low priced. Just straight up X out the Jets-Jags game. That, that game will have some decent amount of popularity because when you look at it, you say someone has to get the ball here. These offenses are terrible. I get that the defenses are bad, 
But the reason that the offenses have been bad is not that they're playing good defenses and they finally get bad defense is because neither, neither quarterback has any real decision-making skills. They just give the ball up. It doesn't matter if you're facing Jalen Ramsey or a practice squad quarterback. When Trevor Lawrence throws an air ball to a cornerback who is 10 feet away from the next closest wide receiver, he's going to pick it off whether he's bad or not. So I think this game will get some one-off ownership, maybe even some stack ownership just in terms of like, I got a ton of start sits questions around like Michael Carter. I would say this game gets some ownership as in terms of it is going to be cheap. It has some values because we can have a loose prediction on where the volume goes. Who cares? The game has a very, very real chance of ending 13 to 11. And I, I think it's just so easy to write off this game as no one scores a ceiling outcome in it. So what you're saying is basically you're writing off James Robinson because that's really the only player people are like gravitating around given that he only got the $500 bump on DraftKings. As you're seeing right now in an interactive show, if you're watching live, not on the podcast, we are showing the NBC Sports Edge DFS projections and toolkit. James Robinson coming in as the fourth best value points per dollar on DraftKings. Whereas remember on FanDuel, 8,200, not so much worried unless you're playing it for game theory reasons. But 5,900, you're saying you're not interested in because he's going to get steamed in a bad matchup and bad offense. Yeah, I also think Michael Carter, I'm looking at him projected around 10%. I would almost argue maybe he comes up a little more than that. The only spots I'd be interested in would be like defense because these teams are terrible. But I also think like Trevor Lawrence gets some cheap, like some cheap five to 6% ownership because stacking him is affordable. And there are places actually, as I speak now, who knows who gets ruled out. There are places worth paying up. But yes, James Robinson would be chief among them. And Michael Carter to me is like the easiest fade. I don't think he's the most popular, but I think he does come in. I, I'm looking at him projected about 10%. I actually kind of, we he came up. We called it last week, remember? We said, I, did you see the salaries? Uh, Jeff Wilson's 5K. Everyone likes playing Michael Carter, and he was 4,700. If he got activated, people were going to play him. He, he got up to 30% in some small fields. You read that so well, too. I yeah, wasn't, I actually, it, I think I pushed back on you saying, like, I don't know if he gets that popular. You were so right. And he's just like, he's just the, like, you're not playing. Imagine playing Michael Carter. Come on, come on. We're trying to win. The whole point is to win. Money. I got so many questions on this, on whatever my live stream was, Wednesday morning, whatever, about Michael Carter. Who is playing a committee back? on the jets i just can't imagine i think it gets up to like 10 percent ownership it's i'd x 100 just x amount don't play the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I completely agree. Again, if 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 I'm guessing this incorrectly, that's what it comes down to. I could be talking out of my ass here. But if we get the Ravens <laughs> and Bengals steamed, because everyone's going to see it as a good game, I think it's the fate of the week. I think I'm going to be off of it completely. Or playing Joe Mixon in a bad spot, taking away the on-paper analysis and saying, yes, the Ravens have been stuffing running backs, but no one's paying up at running back and no one's playing Joe Mixon in a slowed-down game. I'll suck it up and do it. 
or better yet, I think also the Bengals are a very good pay down defense, especially if Lamar Jackson's like active, maybe people get on Tyler Huntley. And now that there's three, this is more hand in the dirt take, but now there's three games of film on him. I think it's easier to contain him when you know what he's going to do. He's still a backup quarterback in the NFL. I like the Bengals defense as a contrarian leverage a whole lot. So that's going to be the way I play that game. Let's assume that at least one of, if not both, of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. I know the initial reports were that Travis Kelsey, they thought he could get tested out in time. I didn't see that same report on Tyreek Hill, so I'm not sure if he plays. If he doesn't play, I feel like whoever the top two most owned Chiefs wide receivers, if not all of them, are just instant fades because we will naturally assume that we can easily predict who takes on Tyreek Hill's role as if anyone in the NFL who isn't Tyreek Hill can actually take on that role. I think Travis Kelsey would see a bunch of targets. He'd be probably reasonably own chalk. He'd be popular and that would be understandable given how many targets he would see. I would rather play the running game. You briefly talked about this early in the show, but I would, I would just straight up like X out Byron Pringle. If Michael Hardman is who people think takes over, I would just X out that player and say they're playing a terrible, they're playing against a terrible offense they don't need to put up a ton of points and they play against a defense that allows a ton of rushing yards per game. I believe like bottom five in rushing yards per game. So just, they will probably just run the football or at least there is a reasonable chance. They just run the football at low ownership versus the passing game at high ownership. And the more often than not, when we see really easy points per dollar values at wide receiver or tight end, the quarterback follows suit because when you've already plugged in, like say Travis Kelsey doesn't play, and I think Blake Bell is also on the COVID list or something. Blake Bell's on the COVID list. If Kelsey and Blake stay on the COVID list, Noah Gray is literally their only tight end. Oh my God. Even then, even then, I mean, how many times do we have to do this show? The recap show, you know, we've done it for six, seven weeks. Four of those weeks, one of the lessons is always fade the chalky cheap tight yep. end. Like that's, that's literally just a cheat code because everyone goes to the same guy and it just doesn't matter. Yeah, so let's say we get no Travis Kelsey, obviously no Blake Blow in that scenario. Noah Gray, Michael Hardman, or Byron Pringle, and Patrick Mahomes sacks would go through the roof, despite the fact that Patrick Mahomes has played his worst football this year and would be missing his two best pass catchers. I would 100% rule out the entire passing attack, even if it's only one of Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey out. I would rule out the passing attack and just say, let's say they run 35 times this game because they're the, the defense they face allows it and the offense they face doesn't have real, really much of a chance of putting up points. So that is a conditional fade, but it would be a very obvious fade to me. And because the CEH Gerald Williams combo has been used already as their third receiver, like that's the pivot. That's yes. why he's the best option. And that's why also CEH has a higher ceiling than Ronald Jones, in particular on DraftKings, because you know he's going to get receptions, whereas we don't know that and we think he's not going to for Ronald Jones. So yeah, like honestly, CEH is a better outright play. You have to pay 1K more, but that's the whole point is that how many people are going to get up there when they can think, okay, well, I'll just pay down for the value, but there are so many other values that, yeah, I like I like CEH no matter what. Honestly, like even if, when Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were in the lineup like on Monday, I still like CEH when I saw sure. the salary. So I'd probably still end up playing them because that's when CEH's ownership plummets if those two guys come back. We don't know if anyone's coming back. I think – the safest way to go about every single week, as we've seen through 15 weeks so far, is to assume no one comes back from the COVID list that week. Nonetheless, if they do right. come back, CEH is just as good of a play, even though he would lose like 20% of the field that's thinking of rostering him right now. I'll go ahead and lead off with my sneaky snacks because I already mentioned one of them. I think Joe Mixon and Bengals defense 
is a unique one if everyone's going to get on the Ravens offense and like try to be sharp, trying to get ahead of Rashad Bateman running 50 routes on Tyler Huntley's 52 dropbacks. And maybe, maybe, maybe Bateman gets there. That's fine. But you know, I, I just think it's a better option to play the Bengals defense instead. I also like, as already mentioned, adding Michelle or Odell Beckham to Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson stacks. I don't even think I need Stafford in this slate if I'm playing two Rams wide receivers. I'm, I'm just fine just totally taking their floors again. Adding Jared Cook to any Justin Herbert stacks, knowing that Donald Parham is going to be out, I think is also a unique way to try to steal that touchdown leverage from Justin Jackson. And yeah, and naked Jalen Hurts trying to get the floor. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe since Jordan's Howard's cheap, if Miles Sanders is out, maybe playing Howard with, with Hertz. I don't know. I need to think more on that. I feel like that was, I mean, that's actually, that was the reason where I said I had the nuts on the Tuesday slate, which again, I'm not coming on here to brag. I like four X on that slate. Cause I was just playing like tournament qualifier stuff. I wasn't, I had it. I had the Hertz Sanders in and I, I changed it because I kept telling myself like, this doesn't make sense. But then you, you can't make sense on slate. a two-game slate. That's it. Bingo. Well, tell me that 48 hours ago. And I know the rules. <laughs> we have, I know that's good advice, rule. right? Because we have a two-game slate on Saturday, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have lots of two-game Don't slates. make sense. I know. that's Don't make sense. And that's why, like, I went back and used the same percentage of bankroll this next upcoming slate because I was like, I just I, I had it and I just played it wrong. I overthought myself. So, yes, I'm very yeah. confident going in this next two-game slate. So, a sneaky stack. One... <sighs> Every play this week, I think I've said I hate myself for thinking about this, but the the Lions defense, if you may have noticed, is quite bad. In fact, they are, despite, they don't look like a great matchup for opposing quarterbacks, but that is solely and solely because they give up a lot of runs because they're the Lions and they have, what, uh, do they have two wins now? They have two wins and a tie, right? When you're losing a lot, that is a whole, what happens is you give up a lot of runs, but they're secondary. Like is that. truly atrocious. They are 31st in the NFL in opponent yards per pass attempt, and they play a passing attack where we generally have a good idea of what happens. The opposing team tries to take away Kyle Pitts, and if they can, it goes to Russell Gage. But Kyle Pitts, despite every single opponent knowing exactly how to defend this team without Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts remains top five in targets among tight ends, second in the NFL in air yards among tight ends. This is the ultimate, please bring me pain. I want to lose money. But Kyle Pitts has elite tight end usage. He's also top 10 among tight ends and red zone usage, despite his red zone usage without Calvin Ridley, honestly, is a bit disappointing. But it still is, for a tight end, good. It's just in that Mike Gusecki or Dawson Knox tier. It's not elite like we would hope, especially it's not elite like his actual yardage and air yardage uses. But he is a wide receiver playing tight end. Russell Gage is the only other receiver, and I don't think it'll be very popular against a defense that gets obliterated in terms of efficiency by the opposing quarterback. Matt Ryan stacks could be worse. There are worse weeks to play them. There are worse weeks to play them. If he had any, I mean, this comfort zone to play <laughs> Thank you. That's all week. I needed. If he had any, like any confident games, like in his last six starts. I could see, I could definitely see like being more interested. That's why I mentioned yeah. Patterson, knowing that the Falcons offense isn't a tremendous spot. If, but like also without Jared Goff, the lines are very clearly worse. He's played so well the last three games that there is now, we can confirm a downgrade from him to not David Blau, who's starting. Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle, 
who averaged 5.2 yards per attempt in his last start. It was tremendously horrible when he started this year. But if there's no Jamal Williams and no DeAndre Swift, which I think they'll all be back, but if there's no none of them, then I could see myself starting Craig Reynolds thinking a run-heavy game script. Who cares against a terrible Falcons defense? But I do think they're both going to play. Okay, let's go ahead and get some loose notes here. Just because they're underpriced and available, do you think it's a week we still should look to flex in the running back or is it viable to pay down in that range for a wide receiver if we think there's one that stands out? Yeah, I'm always fine. I don't think there's ever like a slate that mandates you go for one or the other. I think it's fine to pay. I think especially to me, it'd be difficult. I don't even know if there's like three super high price running backs worth paying up on the slate. I would generally think that you can find a lot of 22 point performances from 49 to 50. $5,700 running backs. And it's more difficult to find that from wide receivers. It's, it's you want to find expensive wide receivers who can drop 39, 35. So I'm generally looking to pay up at wide receiver and down at running back. So I think as long as you're paying down at two out of your three running back spots, assuming you're using three perfectly fine to play three running backs, any hope for any of the Raiders players bounce backs, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacob, perhaps, you know, I, I don't think you need to get the Foster Moreau on this slate, but just the fact that, you know, Derek Carr, since the bye without Henry Ruggs and basically without Darren Waller that whole time, 7 of 28 on passes 20-plus yards downfield, no explosiveness. The Raiders, 16 points or less in six of the last seven games, no explosiveness. So, like, any hope for, like, Hunter Renfro throwing him in there saying, okay, well, before this, he was a wide receiver one every single week, wide receiver two every single week. So who cares about last week's performance? Yeah, that's actually kind of my opinion on Hunter Renfro. I'm not like loading up on him because he's priced up to the point where he is understandably priced. He's not poorly priced. Although I still think given his volume outside of last week, you could argue he's underpriced because outside of last week, he had games of 14, 10 and nine targets, all three of which he went over hundred yards. So I think you, as a, tournament player you want to find spots where players who have immense volume and are talented no doubt hunter renfro is talented are not going to be very popular and when hunter renfro is not priced as an elite wide receiver he's under 7k which is a good line for elite wide receivers i actually think he's like a perfectly fine one-off because he is not the thing with hunter renfro is he doesn't need his team he was successful when his team was putting up 9 16 whatever points because as you know they're not putting up points right now because he gets there on being good enough on a lot of volume. And also, like, I'm not saying good enough as in he's not a good player. It's difficult when you are the slot receiver, also the focal point of your offense. He's a very good player, evidenced by him getting a lot of volume. So yes, I actually think it's the perfect spot to buy him because his price didn't overly correct either. It's not like he jumped back down. So people are going to see him as this, you know, painstaking value. So yeah, I actually think Hunter Renfro, just as a simple one-off, is a player who I'd probably be over. We usually don't play cheap, chalky tight ends, as we mentioned earlier. And it's not necessarily cheap. Like, Noah Gray, terrible play. Cheap and going to be chalky if Kelsey doesn't come back. Don't play Noah Gray. Having said that, Dallas right. Goddard, you could argue, cheap since he played on Tuesday, may get chalky since he's the best play in that range. Like, is that okay to play him since, you know, back-to-back -back games of career highs and receiving yards? Most recently, if we're using recency bias, stood out in prime time where everyone saw it. And just still like to be mid fives on FanDuel, that's where it's most egregious. And DraftKings, though, like, could you still wrap your head around playing him if he gets to like 15 to 20%? Yeah, as you get to 20%, I think if you view him as a 20% wide receiver, he's not absolutely egregious. 
But I, I still think if you told me he gets to 20%, that is a player I'd probably go under on. I was thinking more in the 15% range, and then I'm thinking, oh, well, if you play Jalen Hurts. That's just a guesstimate, by the way. I don't I don't think he gets there right now. I really don't have a good guess on it. I'm still waiting to see like when people catch up and see what his salary is. We're recording this on a third. You're right, though. Course, he'll be possible. So we don't you're have right. that extra 24 hours information. But at that salary, I would imagine he gets pretty popular. No, you're right, though. He'll be, I, I think at minimum, he's a top five tight end. I think he's fine. I think he's especially fine. You talk about playing Jalen Hurts. That's, I mean, the ideal spot to play him in. That combination will not be unpopular, but you are still shaving off some amount of Goddard ownership by playing him as a stack. Problem is like, there's, there's no wrong. You're like, are you running back anyone? No, no. I, no, yeah. you're not running back and you're not running back. It's a spot where like not. you tell yourself that the stack works because this happens versus the Seahawks because they cannot sustain drives. Oh, my team in a game with 60 minutes of time of possession to go around acclaims 45 of them. And that's how the correlation works. Not because it's a back and forth game, because it's a game where one team holds the ball the entire time. And I think that's perfectly fine to go with. But if Goddard is going to be a top, man, the thing is he just plays like a wide receiver. So I think he's fine. I would not, I'd probably end up playing less Goddard than the field, frankly, though. Any thoughts on a game we haven't discussed, Bill's Patriots, because there are some interesting plays around there if you can get to it. Uh, Josh Allen, of course, his bugaboo has been Bill Belichick, 55% completion rate, 6.2 yards per attempt against Belichick defenses for his career. And the intricacy that I'm waiting on, if we recorded this on Friday, we would know a little bit more, is Emmanuel Sanders being limited on Wednesday and Thursday, because that throws in a wrench that we are not prepared for, in my opinion. Does Sanders play over Gabriel Davis? Perhaps. I mean, he played over Gabriel the first half of the season. Why wouldn't he return and just do it again? Especially in we're in a game where maybe Gabriel Davis gets popular. J.C. Jackson slapped onto Stephon Diggs for man-to-man coverage as he's done shadowed all year long. Davis, this past game for Sanders, 90% snaps, 90% routes run on Allen's dropbacks. Also leads the team in end zone targets in the last three weeks. And 17 yards per catch over his last six games, even coming off the bench. Without Cole Beasley as well, which makes it interesting because if Sanders is out and, you know, we know Beasley's out because he's not vaccinated, he's out perhaps in week 17 as well. I think Isaiah McKenzie's an interesting cheap play here. Week 17 last year without Cole Beasley, McKenzie played a season high, 90% of snaps, led the team in targets. And remember that game, even though they had the playoffs locked up, they still played their starters the first half. McKenzie, two receiving scores as well from Josh Allen. So like, I think McKenzie's a sneaky, cheap play here if you want to pay down to save salary over Gabriel Davis, thinking that's who gets attention. But again, like any any thoughts at all on this game? Because we could see Damian Harris out and Mondre Stevenson starting as well. Yeah, so to me, the Bills are the perfect, if you know the meme, it is a bell curve. It's a what would I would call a stupid person on the left and a very smart person on the right and then an average Joe in the middle, and it's play Josh Allen at low ownership at the left and play Josh Allen at low ownership on the right. If Josh Allen is going to be popular, I do not care. His team total is terrible, too. That's like a 21 implied team total. I just don't care. It's Josh Allen, and he has good values on his team now because they're without, at a minimum, one receiver. So, yeah, to me, it's a bad spot for them, frankly. It's a defense that we saw, although it's very scrupulous circumstances, contain them most recently. Although, like, they threw a lot with Josh Allen, so it tells me that at least they thought they were capable of throwing, although they probably weren't going to do it efficiently. I just don't care. I'll just, anytime Josh Allen's low owned, which I think is probably the case in this spot, just play him. You don't even have to get creative with it. Just play him. Interesting. That's a that's a take we didn't hear when we were talking to quarterbacks earlier, so that's fine. I'm not, I probably won't be on him, but yeah. 
it, the stacking options I think will be very clear. You'll have, you know, two places to go. Well, three if you want to include Dawson Knox in the mix. But yeah, I still think Isaiah McKenzie is an interesting either skinny stack with Ramondre Stevenson or Damon Harris. If we don't get Stevenson, I want to see how the Patriots mm-hmm. backfield shakes out because if I think it's favorable game script or one of them can't get game scripted off the field, especially Ramondre, that makes them interesting. And then finally, I'm going to give you the hard question that everyone was waiting for from the beginning. You can only play one for tournaments. So factor in everything, game theory, salary, everything. Which one do you play between Justin Jackson, Jordan Howard, without Miles Sanders, Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison, and James Robinson. Alexander Madison. I think he is the far least likely to have work taken away from him. And as you said, like they use him as a receiver when he's healthy. So I will say pretty easily Alexander Madison. I think I'm there too. I think I wouldn't get receptions from Jordan Howard, but in this game script, I'd still be very interested. I need to think on it. I need to see where the field goes. We're recording this on a Thursday. Hopefully we'll get some more information But with that, any other parting words before we get out of here? No, I think we covered it all. Good luck to everyone. More importantly, happy holidays. Thanks for sticking with us this week. Remember, two games on Saturday, full slate on Sunday. We will be back on Sunday for all those tricky starter sick questions we didn't get to today because of the DFS show. So Sunday, noon Eastern, presented by Applebee's. We will be sitting after the holidays, no matter what happens, answering your start sick questions because that's how I want to spend my weekend. So until then, he is at Kyle Tweets here on Twitter. Kyle Dvorak, of course. I'm John Daigle at Najai Daigle. Good luck this week. We are still on the quest to bink one, but I feel all of us getting close together. Let us hear if you do. Nonetheless, good luck. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.